Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning, and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business, and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to our Designing for Impact series in collaboration with DNAD, where we catch up with the winners of this year's DNAD Impact Awards. Today I catch up with Marika Spain, Associate Creative Director at Leo Burnett in Sydney, to discuss the award-winning Suncorp One House Project, one of Australia's most natural disaster-resilient homes. Welcome to Design Your Life. Lovely to see you. And you're in Sydney too? I am, yes. We should have got together and done this uh, in person, but uh, you know we're doing this on, uh, through our screens here. Um, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get into what you do? Yeah. Um, so I uh, did a bachelor in um, communication design at Billy Blue um, mm -hmm. way back in the day. Um, I did sort of four or five years in the industry as a designer, but, uh, but, you know, sort of always felt like I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more and use my brain more than just making things look pretty. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was a bit of a test for myself, I guess, uh, and threw myself into award school to see if I had the chops and, uh, ended up getting in the top 10. So that was a bit of a, um, an indication for me that I was capable and I sort of got my first job in. Um, you know, officially advertising, I guess you'd call it, into the world of art direction. And, um, and yeah, so I've been working uh, for, you know, probably seven years since then um, as an art director. And, and, yeah, One House has sort of been my slash our baby for, for the last probably, you know, three years almost. It was about 18 months in the making. So it's definitely... Um, you know, a bit of a, a pinnacle in my career so far to have an idea that's sort of resonating uh, mm. that well. When you were saying about you were thought, obviously design can do more or creativity mm -hmm. can do more than, I guess, its commercial uh, aspect. Uh, yeah. How did that come about? What, what brought that on? Or is that something you always felt growing up? I think it's something that's developed for me increasingly over the years. And that's just a natural... Um, you know, thing, I guess, that comes about after life experience, but also career experience. I think, you know, I've, I've basically grown to, to a position that genuinely believes that design and creative thinking has, has the, you know, the potential to change, change the world, change the way we live. It has such an amazing impact on, on many industries and, and just that mindset you know, applied to, to any, any brief, any problem, 
I think is going to have have amazing amazing impact. So yeah, you know they say what is it? Um, good design goes unnoticed, but I think you know that's just there's so much more to it um, when you apply lateral thinking as well as beautiful design. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yes. I, I share the same view. I mean, we've been going for about almost 30 years now, which is insane. Uh, mm. And we're passionate. Our, our, our kind of positioning is around designing a better world. Um, yeah. And so we just absolutely feel the same way. See that every single opportunity has the potential to be great, not just commercially, but better yeah. for the planet, better for people, and, and profit. There's no, there's no reason why profitability shouldn't be compensated um, or restricted because of you know doing good in the world, which is really really cool. How, how do you make that work in advertising? Because advertising traditionally seems to be uh, uh, an area that you might be, you know, you might be working on projects which are about materialism and you know f that stuff that's trying to convince people to buy stuff that's bad for them. Are you are you able to say no to other projects that, in that in that way? Yeah. Oh, look, saying no is is absolutely an option. I personally haven't got. <laughs> Well, maybe that's just me personally. I, I, I believe that, you know, and I have worked with other people who have, um, you know, morally objected to a brief and, mm -hmm. and chosen to to stand down. Um, I, I haven't got to a, a position like that just yet, luckily, I guess. I think if I was to get to, to that point, depending on the depending on the ask, I guess, you, you know, you're always just trying to boil it down to, you know, a human insight that's relatable uh, depending on your target audience and, and trying to come at it from that ra that way rather than, you know, um, force lies down someone's throat. That's definitely not what I see advertising as. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think there's, there's different ways of tackling a brief. Uh, it's probably a pretty broad answer, but, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was kind of, I guess I was wondering how did this come about this project as well was it something that you initiated or was it something that came into the company yeah absolutely so it's a bit of a story actually but um, you know very proud to say it absolutely was uh, our idea from the agency not not the other way around um, you know but it, it was at the crux essentially each year uh, Suncorp comes um, comes out with a you know a campaign and a brief to us for storm season up in Queensland. They're based mm. in Queensland, yeah. um, and as, effectively, there are far too many insurance claims um, that come in each year from people being ill prepared for the for the storm season. You know, mm. it might be trampolines or backyard furniture going through the window when they just haven't mm. tied it down or something like that. So. All they want to do is get out there with a message to say that, you know, you can prevent these unnecessary claims and, and save both you and us as a company money by preparing better. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where that's where the, th the first sort of thought came from, because Queenslanders have this she'll be right type attitude. Yep. Um, you know, they think they've been through so many of these disasters that they'll get through the next one. Um, but, you know, we essentially went to them um, and said that uh, climate change is, is making these disasters increasingly worse, increase, um, 
increasingly more frequent and there probably will come a stage where you you won't be right and you do need to prepare better so we actually ended up going out with a campaign that was a little bit shorter of a lead time um, for that first year because when we presented uh, the name was different back then but um, the idea of sort of putting a home through a a simulated cyclone was where it originally started. There's a cyclone simulator in South Carolina, yeah. um, the only one in the world. Uh, and we wanted to put someone's home through it and show them what would really happen. Mm. Um, but how the thought developed from there was essentially that uh, people already know uh, and, the, and the campaign was not to be about fear-mongering or, or, or showing them you know, how their home will be destroyed when these, when these disasters come through, but flipping it to focus on the positive, and that's much more Suncorp in terms of the optimism. So it started to, to form a thought where it was about um, a resilient home that we mm-hmm. would uh, sort of put through these simulations of flood and, and, and cyclone. And at that stage, it didn't actually involve fire, but because the project lead time was so long, uh, we got hit by COVID, so couldn't go to mm. South Carolina. Um, uh, budgets were cut significantly. <laughs> and you can imagine such a huge thought was uh, was was way, way bigger in terms of the treatment originally. So yeah. we actually spent six to eight months evolving the treatment, evolving the, the thinking, um, you know, to, to get it to a point that was... Uh, digestible for Suncorp and going to be made possible. They really loved the idea and wanted to do it, but obviously there are a few barriers. Um, And what that meant is by the time we got to that stage, we got hit by the Black Summer bushfires. So, um, you know, it was almost a a no-brainer that we needed to evolve the idea to include fire as well. And then it just became such a, um, you know, such such a huge a huge thought, particularly timely for Australia, um, around uh, preparing Australians uh, with learnings from this one house that they could apply to their own homes, Um, not just rebuilds, but um, dissectable individual learnings that are relevant to their location, be it flood, cyclone or bushfire, so that they can better withstand them. Um, so that was kind of how it evolved over the, I think, 18 months in, in yeah. the making. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yeah. really interesting seeing, uh, I was watching some of the videos that prepared for it, and, and the lady called Kath Stewart from Suncorp said 97% of time and energy spent on build and repair and 3% on prevention, and obviously talking about reversing that, uh, yeah. which it sounds like this project has done. Yeah, that was one of my favorite statistics, and I, and I repeated a lot because it's in, it's incredible, and, and and it was you know, Suncorp was effectively the experts in all of this data and knowledge around insurance and how we have behaved mm. in, in the past, and I think insurance you know as a category gets um, cops a lot of flack from people for, for you know overcharging and everything being so expensive. But what was really great about this is that they were able to. You know, they're always first on the ground up in Queensland uh, helping recover from these natural disasters, but now they're actually pushing to, to flip that percentage like like you just mentioned and spend more money, even though it might seem like an initial outlay. Um, it's so much more worthwhile to pay for that resilience than it is to pick up the pieces after it's happened. Yeah, I guess the thing is we've been, disasters have been happening for, forever. Uh, in some form or the other, and, and people have just 
rebuilt um, yeah. what they had before. Um, and I guess this was about changing the way that we build our homes and what materials yes. and, and all that. So how, how did that all kind of come come together? Kind of, it's almost like a scientifically tested home um, yeah. that can withstand all these environmental issues. How, how did that come about? I mean, how did you begin? How do you begin to direct that idea? And then how did you yeah. work out who to bring into the mix, the experts and yeah. all that? Well, it's huge, like you say. And I, and I touched on Suncorp being the experts in, in insurance, but what we what we were very quick to you know admit is that we needed experts in all of these fields so it's not just about doing it you know um as an agency and, and part of our our thinking strategy was also that uh building codes uh, are not up to scratch you know these oh. these disasters are getting much more severe and frequent but majority of homes are absolutely not built to withstand it so we wanted to push you know for, for for change um, to increase those standards, so that um, so that people can survive um, and and carry on living without such a significant impact. But I'll I'll go back to your question. We you know first port of call was was a production partner to to start liaising with all of the the people that we were um, we're going to require for something this big. Um, and, uh, you know, to be honest, it was, again, a no-brainer to, to start discussions with the Glue Society because they are such an amazing um, amazing group of people and, and, you know, have that sort of um, ability to work in, a, in what I'll say is not necessarily fully conventional advertising, if you will. They sort of do do different stuff. So um, we had a meeting with JK, uh, you know, very early on in, in, in our thinking and worked together with him in forming a treatment um, through those sort of that six month early stage that I mentioned around making the project work in the landscape of COVID and, and budgets and, um, and getting the idea to a, to a point that the client felt um, comfortable with so he was he was an amazing partner in that respect and then as soon as we did get that um, that final sign off we we started our discussions with um, you know there was obviously scoping and stuff that crossed over as well but CSIRO are, are experts in in bushfire resilience and testing facilities down in Mogo so um, got a really great great partner in them and in particular um, a guy called Justin can't remember his last name but um, he was featured in our documentary and uh, an, an amazing source of, of information. And then equally, James Cook University up in um, far north Queensland are experts in, in testing for cyclone resilience. So both of these, um, you know, uh, players are, are very experienced in those perils. Uh, but then obviously we also needed to design a house. <laughs> so that was not a... Not our expertise, so we, we got a, a, an architect in room 11 who um, had done some work in sustainable building before uh, and so had great creds in that regard and essentially just got everyone in, you know, everyone together and started cross pollinating and conversations. And what was a really great um, part of the whole project is that everyone, um, every sort of lead in each of those parties was also shocked. Um, that they'd never had conversations before because a lot of the learnings from say you know how houses um legally have to be built through structural standards 
um, some of those things actually helped the cyclone resilience when crossed with something that we put in with fire resilience, for example. So there were all these benefits that were coming about through these experts talking to each other for the first time. It's kind of bonkers that they didn't talk together before. I mean, you kind of assume yeah. uh, that all these building codes are already established to protect you in your home and your family, etc. Yeah. But clearly not. Crazy. Not as closely as we'd like to think, you know. I guess there are reports written or whatever it is by by people in certain fields, but the you know the the time it takes to filter down to actually influence a um, you know, a building code or a governmental change or even just how, how an architect on the other side of the country designs their building. It, nothing's as quick and as efficient as a conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, I, I was reading that uh, in 2020, 134,000 homes were damaged by extreme weather. I don't know if that's just for Queensland, it might be. Um, but that's a staggering number. And obviously since then, we've had, uh, you know, the fires and the and the floods uh, as yep. well. And it, can, it continues and I can't, I mean, must be massive amount of people that have been affected detrimentally with this. I mean, it's it affects everything. It affects your, a home, a home is such a precious thing for individuals if you're lucky enough to have a home. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 to, to see the devastation on the news and to see the, the pain and, and the, 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 the terrible experiences people have been going through is horrific. It affects your family, it's all your belongings, it's your your own resilience and your you know, your pets, etc. Everything can be lost in a kind of a in a in a very quick moment. Definitely. And that formed a huge part of um of how we sort of brought the campaign to life. Uh, it, it, and I think this is one of the quotes from um, the guys at Room Eleven, you know, anyone can build a concrete bunker that is resilient. But no one wants to live in one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Although so I quite like concrete. <laughs> Personally. Well, I think we did use some concrete or fiber cement sheeting in the design, but yeah. it was as much about building resilience, um, you know, during the, these, these events as it was maintaining the Australian way of life. Like, mm. you know, after a bushfire rips through, you know, you're cut off from town water uh, and you can't actually stay in the home even if the structure did survive. So it was about, um, you know, uh, the emotional resilience. It's the, it's the time after the disaster so that you're able to actually not be displaced from your house for months or years on ends, but while you while you recover so and also you know the the, the home itself was um based we call it the queenslander 2.0 it's based yeah. on a queenslander yeah, yeah. Um, you know in how it was designed with that multi-story um uh you know design with the wraparound balcony uh yeah. and, and all of the sort of um you know things that people love about queensland and queensland life so that you can still enjoy the good the good parts as well as um getting through the bad yeah, it's interesting that I, I saw the, the demonstration on, on the video just in terms of like putting fire, rain, <laughs> you know, push, um, shooting things into the screens. It's just phenomenal that, how strong that house was. And, and the feedback on the people that you were, you know, your team was um, showing it to was very positive in terms of its aesthetic as well. Obviously much more modern than the traditional Queenslander, but um, not as, um, you know, attractive to fire as, as they are. 
But uh, but it's interesting that like just looking at different materials like wa water resistant materials, fiber cement for the interior walls, freestanding appliances, raised power points, etc. All that's kind of quite simple thinking, really, isn't it? That, but it just makes it like it just prepares it for the worst case scenario, which is, uh, I guess, going to happen at some at some time. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, um, you know, like I mentioned before, a lot of the knowledge in in this structure is actually already known. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we wanted to do is make it more accessible to, to mainstream Australia and Queensland to make sure that, you know, A, um, it can be affordable to, to, to update your home or it doesn't have to be a knockdown rebuild. It can just... If you're in a flood zone, it can just be going in and raising those power points above the, the flood mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. um, equally, if you're in a fire-prone fire area, it might just be about making sacrificial gutters as a replacement on your, on your um, building or some protective ember screens. Um, so, yeah, we were very conscious of making sure that uh, the whole thing was affordable. I think that the entire design was based on a sort of $750,000 obviously architecturally designed building, mm -hmm. um, but it was deconstructible so that you didn't have to take every single one of those things and you could apply it to to your existing home um, as is. But you are right, it's, it's, it's not all, you know, groundbreaking science, but the fact that these three, um, you know, perils and collaborators all came together for the first time to create one structure was what was new. And it looks like the the federal government I saw the our our pack uh, created a six hundred million resilience fund on the yeah. back of that, which is super cool. I mean, how yeah. how have any of these houses been built? <laughs> it's probably like um, that's just that sadly, a dumb question, but no. Yeah. yeah, well, sadly, we didn't have the budget for it. Like I mentioned, it was a bit of a tough oh. year through COVID to get this across the line. But there is right. absolutely ambition to get it. Um, built for real and and what's been great is that we have you know real interest from people out there in the world going can i build it you know like we've, yeah. we've got people asking so there's appetite for it um we just need to get you know get get that block of land and, and a budget for the for year two <laughs> yeah I, I guess that you know tim and i talked about the fact that at dnad there's often then people kind of create ideas and enter the competition with ideas that are, you know, some are been done and some are just kind of just a big idea. I mean, is, yeah. it, is, it, is it a big idea that just hasn't, hasn't been um, implemented yet or, or what? Because obviously... Yeah, it depends on the way you look at it. Like, uh, absolutely, it would be great to have it as a, um, you know, a life-size physical structure. Um, but as an idea, I think, you know, the fact that we've now got an open source blueprint with all of this thinking and learnings around how people can change their own homes, which was the ambition for the project. Um, and, you know, where we have actually done um, year two of a campaign this year just released called Resilience Road, where we went up to Rockhampton and found a real street with five real families with existing homes, took the learnings from one house and actually made real renovations to their homes to make it more resilient. Okay. So, um, you know, that's that's a real life sort of, um, uh, you know, implementation of the thinking. And, and, you know, we've got more in the bank about how we can 
how we can evolve that moving forward. So uh, given the way technology is going uh, and, um, you know, the metaverse and how we can experience um, structures and designs and um, even apply, you know, um, algorithms for whether it be flood, cyclone or fire to to our designs and, and, and again, further our learnings from there. I think the, you know, the world's our oyster in terms of how we actually take this idea to the next step and uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, um, you know, a building uh, that is physically somewhere. Yeah. Who else was working on the project with you from the Leo Burnett team? So um, Eric Franken and, Ma and I were the... Um, that was our idea. We're the creative team on it. Um, Andy Ferguson is our ECD. Um, and we had, you know, a, a huge team of people, uh, obviously, to bring it life to life in production under, you know, Adrian and, and co there. We had a few people helping all of the suits, you know, Shay and Amanda, um, our, our Digi Bill team, CJ, like the, there was a, there's a massive team that... Um, Cool. That went into it. I couldn't even begin to list everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's refreshing because often I do these interviews and the person I'm interviewing has no idea <laughs> whose idea it was and they kind of really? just produced it, you know. Um, but, yeah. it's, but it's really cool to, I mean, that's, that's a great thing about being in a, in a big creative organization like you're in, the power of that collective talent. Uh, can do can, can really make a massive difference to these big ideas coming to life. Absolutely. And, you know, even outside of Leo, as I, I say, every time I talk about this project, there's no way it could have come to come to life the way it did without the collaboration that was involved, you know, again, to rehash production with Glue Society, you know, CSIRO for their expertise, James yeah. Cook University, Room 11, like there was so many, so many amazing partners that, that brought it to life. So it was it was huge. Has it got a lot of exposure? Yeah, like would have liked more, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it has. Um, funnily enough, in award shows, it's sort of getting, uh, you know, it's been a bit polarizing, I think. And you touched on before how how prevalent of an issue this is in Australia and, you know, it could even argue up into Asia and things like that. And it's really resonating um, with those audiences, not mm. so much in America um, at the moment, which is, which is um, unfortunate, but that you know, you never know what that what that is. Maybe it's because it's not as um, you know, not at the forefront of people's minds as much as something like gun violence, for example. Yeah. Or maybe it's just because the audience so audience size and sort of statistics and numbers that come off the back of an idea over there is just so much bigger than here in Australia. Yeah. Um, or who knows? But um, yeah, it's 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 being noticed <laughs> well I, I guess the more the, I mean the weather is, is changing and it, it won't get any better I can't imagine um, the seasons no. are getting longer and more extreme and the temperatures are rising I mean I mean I, I just hope that our architects generally uh, are thinking this way for future proofing homes they've got to be <laughs> they've got to be for sure and, you know, I'd like to think that they are, but it is that, you know, so many factors that go into building a home, uh, money being a big one, uh, yeah. and so affordability of, of these materials and approaches. Um, again, I'm no expert, but surely that's a huge factor. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, we got to start with educating people, and then hopefully they'll hopefully they'll learn and see the value in in putting that money uh, you know up front to make a better a better structure rather than um, gambling on whether they're gonna hit those perils or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've been working this project for a few years, right? I mean, yeah. something that you continue to work on for for the future, or or is that now done? Um, no, it absolutely is. Like I mentioned, so I've been at I've been at Leo's three and a half years, and I can safely say that um, the whole of that time has been working on resilience as a as a you know a, an approach for for SunCorp and their major campaigns. Not not every single one, obviously, but. Um, I mentioned one house was sort of an 18-month process. I think there was a, maybe a couple-month break, and then I moved into the thinking for the next year, which has now evolved into Resilience Road. So okay. they're two very heavily linked campaigns, and, I, and I'm still in meetings now about how we can, um, you know, evolve the thinking with one house into the next stage. Um, so that's still work in progress, but it's it's definitely not stopped. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to often to bring an idea to life that has not come from a client brief i guess i guess you have had that from the suncorp brief but then nonetheless an idea as big as this is is massive to uh to make it happen yeah uh, I, I think people i think people can underestimate that um what it takes to bring an idea to life so congratulations on getting the the exposure and the award that you guys have because it's actually yeah, blew my mind when I saw it because I guess I just kind of felt like, damn, that's uh, so obvious uh, an idea, um, and it should be happening. It should be the government, the councils, the builders, the architects, everybody around that who are making homes should be up to speed with this stuff. Uh, and look, yeah, like it's incredible that they're that they're not necessarily or not collectively coming together, as you said earlier on. The collective kind of combination of all those minds and expertise to create something that is um, going to basically save lives and, and keep you in a home. Someone, one of the, on the, on the video, someone said the definition of resilience is a, a home to live in after a fire. I thought it was yeah. a lovely, a lovely statement because obviously people who have had their homes lost or through floods, etc., um, have lost that home for a very, very long time. Yeah, and it's the displacement like that that is actually, um, you know, one of the most emotionally hard-hitting things to deal with. You know, families are, are recovering for months and years on end afterwards just to pick up the pieces. So, uh, yeah, having having a refuge and, and somewhere to, to stay um, immediately after the disaster has passed through and get back to normal life as quickly as possible is invaluable. Yeah. How, how has this changed you in any way about how you approach things? <laughs> it's funny you ask. I, I, uh, that hasn't come up in the story so far, but um, I actually lost a family uh, holiday home down on the south coast in the Black Summer bushfires. So oh. I was very much experiencing on a personal level the devastation that, uh, you know, uh, and the need uh, of this project that I was, you know, um, neck deep in at the time so there was a lot of crossover in in how I was tackling the brief um, and you know speaking to people and friends and family that I that I was you know uh, going through it with at the time and 
And I think I even presented some of the, some of the, you know, design structure, um, things that we were at at that point in the project to my family and friends who were, mm. who were looking at how to rebuild our property down there. So, yeah. um, oh yeah, I was, I was living it oh. <laughs> every step of the way. I mean, it was a horrific time, wasn't it? I mean, I, I'm just even, even living in Sydney, you just, those days it was just black mm. um, and hearing the kind of people being cut off and losing their homes and stuff. It's just, even now when you go down the, um, down south, etc., you just see the, still the, the burnt trees, um, yeah. you know, trying to come back, etc. It's like, it's, it's quite incredible. Nature's incredible how it, how it does that in the first place, but how it repairs itself over time too. It's like it wasn't yeah, long before all those kind of green shoots are coming up on, on blackened trees and, uh, you know, starting to kind of grow again, which is incredible. But obviously a house doesn't grow again. And a big, big question mark is around, do you, do you rebuild? You know, do you, do you, what do you do? Well, a lot of people don't you know, or can't, you know, can't afford to. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that brings us back to insurance, right? Some people, uh, some people can't afford it. And there are areas of Australia who, that are, that are essentially becoming uninsurable because mm. the, the risk of natural disaster is so high that, you know, um, Suncorp and the likes, other insurance companies are not able to insure uh, there because, you know, it's just too too high risk. So we need, you know, we need to change change things, change the way we're building so that, so that we can continue yeah. to live in places that we love. Yeah, designed for the environment, designed for... This Absolutely. Kind of, you know, wherever you're living in Australia. I mean, a lot of houses that were built here traditionally were, were kind of European design, really. I mean, they're beautiful. Mm. And even the mm. Queenslander homes look very kind of uh, Federation-type house um, of a certain period and certain look and feel from, I guess, the UK mostly, probably. Um, but not appropriate today. Um, you know, we don't need to create bunkers, but we certainly need to create use materials and science to to, to to create resilient homes, which is, is, is a, a brilliant thing. And I, it's interesting to see how that takes off and if more and more people embrace that and does the look evolve so it doesn't feel so much of a, you know, a harder kind of structure that feels, it has to be kind of more resilient in terms of its shape and form and all that. It's, it's yeah, amazing time. It's an amazing time to use technology and materials for uh, for good causes and also to do it locally as well, which would be super cool. And Marika, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been really cool to catch up with you. Thank you for sharing uh, with me and our listeners about the One House Project. Um, and well done, incredible uh, what you guys have done in bringing it to life and, and the award you've won at DNAD, the Impact Awards. Thank you, it's been great to chat to you. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of our Designing for Impact series in collaboration with DNAD, featuring Marika Spain, Associate Creative Director at Leo Burnett in Sydney. Tune to the next episode where we catch up with the next of the five impact winners at this year's DNAD Awards. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, 
please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.